Thank you for listening to WNLA's Sermon of the Week. Visit our website at wnla.church for ways to partner with us and to connect with our ministries. Here is this week's sermon. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I don't know about you, but like when we're singing scripture and we are declaring it, oh, there's life to be had. I love that song, The Blessing, because uh, this is the spoken blessing by the priest who, that would bless people. Blessings aren't just, our words aren't just whimsical, they are true. And that word carries so much truth. So I hope you received that today. I hope you spoke that over your children and their children and their children. And you believed and leaned into faith and spoke that blessing over them. Because it's a real thing. Um, we have been in this series about life and death and the power of the tongue uh, and today I want to continue that series by talking about generosity. I know, uh, I know off, off the top the, the word generosity doesn't, doesn't like bring up speaking, right? We think about money, we think about giving, we think about tithes and offerings, which is all true. But the word generosity is not simply attached to money. Oftentimes, money is where our generosity is tested and where we get to test God, right? When he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He's like, test me in this and see if I, you won't have so much more that you could understand. Like, he wants you to test him in that because it's just, it's just money. Generosity is something that flows with the rest of your life in lots of ways. Um, I guess we'll, <laughs> I'll use this as an example. A generosity. This this week, I was uh, I was challenged in generosity with my actions and my words. And maybe you've been in a similar situation. I was I was pulling out. Um, this is actually at the locker room in Ferndale here, and you have to drive around the building, and then there's this kind of place where you drive. And these two ladies were walking side by side, right in the middle of the drive area. And I'm right behind them, and, and with, like, I'm like, oh, surely they will start to go off to the right and let me pass. And they just kept walking. And, and everything was boiling up inside of me. I was thinking, I should roll down my window and tell them what I really think. Um, I, I, I didn't, so praise the Lord, I maintained my testimony. But I did get pretty close to them with my car, and I'm like, what are you going to do? And uh, anyway, I withheld and they finally got to the very end, and they gave me enough room, and I, I whipped around them, and as I'm whipping around, somebody else comes turning around the corner, and they're like, ah, like this, and that guy just gave me the what for. He did not extend the generosity that I <laughs> But do you understand? Generosity is more than just giving out uh, ample amounts of cash. Generosity with my heart generosity with my words, generosity with my thoughts toward other people is vital. Generosity simply means freely and frequently giving to others. I would add to that, generosity is also withholding some choice words from others when you are wanting to respond in a spirit that is one. Sometimes the best generous thing you can do is keep your mouth shut, <laughs> right? Until your heart can line up but generosity in our words is going to be so important today. I want to start here. I got lots of scriptures today. Uh, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 9, verse 6 through 11. And it's again, it's talking about giving of our offerings and tithes here initially, but it transitions and obviously adds so much more than just that. It says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, sowing is to plant. It's not sowing on a sowing machine. When I, we're not, not many of us are farmers, but when you sow your seed, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about what you'll get in return. Here it says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving toward God. Obviously here, we're talking about tithes, offerings too, but he's talking about much more than that. The measure you use, the seed that you sow, your words can be seeds. And, and the measure you're going to use, if, you, if you're giving out generously of good things, this is what you'll return. You will reap a harvest of those good things. If you sow sparingly or negatively, there is a law of sowing and reaping that, is, that God has put in place. And it goes beyond money. What I put in, I, have, I will, will directly harvest. The measure we use, the proportion we use, will proportionately be measured back to us in return. He wants to make us enriched in every way, including the joy of the Lord, including the generosity of your words. He wants to enrich you in that so that you, what is it, so he can in, increase the seed that you can sow. The more you sow generously, the more seed you're going to find in your seed pouch of generosity to sow. He will, in, he will increase that store. Now our temptation is to hoard the seed for ourselves. But, 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 but if the, I sow sparingly, the direct return will be a sparing return. All right, let's move on. I could go on and on about how this is tied to money. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I love that verse. Oh, I just, oh, I'm feeling so down and out and, and, and dry and weary. Do you know what the best solution is? Go refresh somebody. I know, I know you think the best solution is to go find a way to be refreshed, to go take a drink, to go... The best scriptural way to be refreshed is to go bless somebody. So generously into their lives. Refresh somebody else. Find a way to encourage and bless and speak life into somebody else. And the measure you use is going to measure back to you. This is good stuff. 
I realize it's not brain-blowing, but it is practical and very good if you will apply this generously in your life. Psalm 112, verse 5 says this, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. It goes way beyond money. I'm going to say this over and over because I don't want you to think this is a tithes and offering message, which we believe in tithes and offerings. We are a generous people. Amen. Amen. But we also need to learn to be generous with our words and our thoughts and how we speak about one another behind closed doors and to one another and what we allow to sneak out of our mouths. And be careful that it's not stingy. And be careful that it's a generous word because the measure I use They'll be measured to you. How do I know that? Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2, he says this, do not judge. This is Jesus talking to you and me. Do not judge. Wait a minute. I'm really good at judging. <laughs> we, oh, aren't you guys good at judging? I mean, I can look at all of you and be like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Do not judge. <laughs> Jesus is talking to us this morning. Do not judge judge you're not the judge it's not your job in fact the measure you use to judge others will be measured to you look at this do not judge and you too will excuse me do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you the measure you use in judging and speaking about other people is going to be the same measure that's measured against you. Now let me ask you, do you want your own measurement measured back to you? Or is that a moment of, whoa, I better be more careful with my words. God's grace is sufficient. He's going to freely forgive you. He'll throw the measuring cups back out if you will. If you ever just say, Jesus, forgive me. We, uh, we like to think of judgment, you know, we have a judicial system, and what's our symbol? I got a picture of the, like, we want to say justice is blind, and, and, and in our court system, we try to do our very best to keep, uh, keep our preconceived judgments, all of that, so we just weigh the facts, and so this is the symbol, uh, we got a measurement, justice is blind, but I want to tell you here this morning that justice is not blind. Jesus sees everything. He sees the intention of your hearts. He sees more than just the physical facts of what you did. He knows your intentions, your heart, and all of those things. Aren't you glad he is able to see? Like, even when you mess up, but your heart may be in the right place, he sees that. You don't see that in other people. He does. He can see the very, the very soul of who you are. It's his job to judge. He's not blind. He's full of grace and full of mercy. We need to be generous with our words and we need to be generous with our measuring cups when we're talking about each other. Would you hope, and again, I realize this is a pretty, pretty simple and practical message, but I believe it's important. Would you hope that people spoke about you behind your back the way you talk about others? Would you hope that they measure that same thing? 
I could give you a ton of, ton of verses here, but let, let me simplify it very, very clearly for us here today. Ask yourself, before you jump to your offense, before you speak about other people, before, before you judge somebody else on anything, ask yourself this question, how has Jesus responded to me in this situation? Before you decide to carry that grudge, before you decide to, to, to judge somebody for what they've said, ask yourself the question, when I was stupid, <laughs> what measurement did Jesus use with me? And then measure out towards other accordingly. Because I guarantee you, I can tell you in my heart of hearts that I know on my worst day, in my worst moment, in my worst thoughts, in my worst words, worst words, my worst sin, Jesus was right there measuring out grace and inviting me into a beautiful relationship of forgiveness and wholeness and righteousness. And I lean on that so much because I'm like, the scripture also says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And if you realize, oh, I've been forgiven a ton, your love will increase. The beauty of that. Measure accordingly to what Jesus has done for you. Stop and ask yourself. Before, before you really, really give into that and just give, give in the what for, stop and ask yourself and ask Jesus, Jesus, how did you respond to me when I was in a similar state? And then act accordingly. Measure out accordingly. Measure your words accordingly before you mock somebody, before you call them an idiot, before you call them ignorant and stupid, and all those things. Measure some things out according to what Jesus has done to you and respond accordingly. I'm telling you, it's so easy to take something beautiful, a beautiful friendship, a beautiful relationship, even a beautiful marriage, and start to make it toxic with your words about other people. I'm going to say that again. It is far too easy to take a beautiful friendship, a beautiful relationship, a beautiful marriage, and get into the habit of introducing toxic words. Not about each other, right? But about Bob. Oh, <laughs> Bob. And every time I come home from work, it's like, hey, stupid Bob did stupid things again in stupid ways. Let me tell you all about my stupid boss. Let me tell you all about my coworker. Let me tell you all about my friend, this other person. And, and, and our relationship becomes, and there's, there is a toxicity that actually destroys you and actually poisons your relationship with your friend, poisons your marriage, because it becomes based, and initially it tastes sweet coming off your lips, but it like feels like garbage in your soul. And then you walk away from this beautiful relationship, these beautiful moments, and you, you're like, it's tainted. It's a little desecrated. It's a little more nasty than, than you, you thought. Like, I needed to get this off my chest. Because that foundation, that toxicity, defiles you and defiles your relationship. Not just with the person you're talking to, also with the person you're talking about who has no idea you're talking to them. It poisons some things in the spirit. And then it poisons a beautiful relationship with a friend if I start talking about that other person in toxic ways. And all of a sudden, there's nothing but toxicity and poison going on in the system. Matthew 15, 11 says this. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. 
You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. I want to say that again. First of all, this is good news. You can eat bacon all you want. I, I was thinking about, I should give everyone a piece of bacon on the way out today. In the, in the Old Testament before Jesus, bacon defiled you. What you would take into your body defiled you. And I'm here to say, praise Jesus. Bacon does not defile you unless you eat too much of it. Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out. What you speak, what you say can defile you. That word defile, I've, I've, I've told you before, it means to make common. It takes something holy, and by my words, I can make myself and relationships common again, unworthy of the holiness of God. It's important to guard our mouth. So what are we to do? Do we just keep silent? Well, sometimes, yes, but, but, but uh, that's not always the answer either. Because often we get into this point, and I, I know I've been, I've been there as well with, in my relationship, where it's like, I just can't, I can't say anything nice right now, <laughs> and so I better be, be quiet when I'm talking about somebody else. But, but there, there is a weakness in that as well. Um, there was this time uh, where my wife knew something was wrong, right? Women, you know, you can tell. And you're like, what, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing. Stop, stop asking me or there will be something wrong, right? Come on, am I the only one here? Give me some feedback here. Zeb, you're out of here. All right. We love Zeb. All right. But how many of you have found, let's talk about spouses today, husbands or wives. When you say, what's wrong? And they say, nothing. Is that ever a satisfactory answer? No. And obviously, there was, there was something wrong. But, but I honestly, because I didn't want... I didn't want to enter into any sort of gossip. About, somebody had, said, had done something that, that hurt me. And, and I was carrying that inside. And, uh, and, and, and I was working through it. But because I was working through it, there, 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 my wife could tell there was something wrong. But I didn't want to defile that person. I didn't want to defile my relationship. And so I thought that by not saying anything, that was going to be the way to be strong. And then I was convicted when uh, I was listening to a, a message by Brian Johnson. Um, it, it was talking about this toxic ma masculinity where we think, oh, I'll just, I'm going to just keep it to myself and I won't say anything and that's, that's being strong. And you're like, that's nonsense. That's, that's destroying your relationship just as much as anything. The silent strong type. No, it's, it's how you express and tell. Because my, my wife should be my greatest confidant, right? I should be able to talk to her and tell her things, but how I do it can be toxic or beautiful. And so I heard that and I was convicted because in my mind, my goal was I was going to be strong for my wife so she didn't have to know what somebody else did to me, right? And I'm going to carry this, but as a result, I'm carrying it by myself. And the Bible says the two become one. There has to be a way. Uh, and so I... I I went to my wife and I, I said, you've been asking me what's wrong. And, uh, and I've said nothing. And the truth is there is something. And she's like, well, duh. <laughs> she didn't say that. She was much nicer than, than that. Um, but how then I phrased this, I, I, said, I said, the reason I haven't said anything is because I didn't want to slander somebody else to you. I didn't want to enter into a, a spirit of gossip or toxicity. And, and I said, I said, and here's how I phrased it. I said, this, this person did this and it really hurt my feelings. Now, this is what I said. Now, I know 
I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that was not their intention. I believe the best about them, but it did hurt my feelings. It, 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 and so I was acknowledging that, yes, I would have been hurt by something, but I was trying my best not to defile that other person. So I didn't keep silent, but how I talked about them was an effort to give them a benefit of the doubt, to extend the measure of grace that Jesus extends to me, and it was also how I would love people to respond about me if I did something that offended them. I would want them to be like, hey, Andy said this and did this, and it really hurt me. I'm sure that's not what he meant, but it hurt still. And so I was able to broach that conversation with my wife and so she could, she could stand with me and say, oh, and, and be with me and pray for me and all of that, and that without defiling the other person on the other side of that and actually honoring them and giving them grace. And in the result, our relationship was strengthened as well. It's not about just keeping your mouth shut. There are times you've got to keep it shut for a while because if you, if you open your mouth, something bad's going to come out, right? You've got to work through that with Jesus till you can extend the measure of grace that he's extended to you. Because I know, I know that I've said, I've put my mouth, my foot in my mouth over and over, and every single time Jesus has extended a hoop, huge heaping pile of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and just an, an offering of, hey, I forgive you. The measure we use with our words will be measured back to us. The next step there, anyway, we won't talk, we'll, we'll move on. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 says this. And by the way, as a side note, if my relationship with my wife becomes like, hey, you know what Bob said again? Oh, he is such an idiot. Oh, he doesn't care about anybody. I'm fulfilling a role in Bob's life, and that's the role of the accuser, Satan. That's his job. Did you know that? Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. He stands before the, he tries to accuse us all the time. And so when I'm making accusations about other people and their intentions and what they did without offering the grace and the opportunity of forgiveness, I'm stepping into a role that's not my role. It's a very bad, dangerous role to step into. My job is to offer the grace and forgiveness. And my job, yeah, we got to work through stuff. But let's move on. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 says this. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Here's the point here. Making, allowances, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope and future. I talked about this a bit last, last week, how we are one with Jesus, we are seated with him, and it also extends, we are one with each other. And so I don't slander, oh, my hand is such a stupid hand. It's always doing stupid things. It's an idiot. Like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm cutting down a member of my body and I'm not offering, the, hey, we should give extra attention to this hand and bless it and see if we can't help it. That's the blessing. We are one. But, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the point here. Making allowance for each other's faults. An allowance is something I set aside before it's necessary because I know it's probably going to come. And here we're being told very specifically in the scripture to just go ahead and assume 
that everyone around you is going to be faulty at some point, including your best friend, your kids, your spouse, your parents. Just go ahead and assume that at some point they're going to mess up. Make allowance for it. Make an allowance for each other's fault. I cannot ever enter into any relationship without predetermining that I'm going to make an allowance for fault because I'm not perfect, they're not perfect. So when they're not perfect, we're just going to work through and forgive and speak generously. We're going to be generous with our allowances. How many want a generous allowance given to them? Then generously give allowance to those around you. I'm sure Jesus has given you a generous allowance as well. Can you say amen to that? Freely you have received, freely give. The measure you use will be measured to you. He uses heavenly, generous measuring cups in dealing with us. And so he looks at us and he implores us to represent him by using heavenly, generous, kingdom-minded portions of generosity when dealing with each other. Look, I am filled today with a glistening hope. And let me tell you why, very specifically. Because it is evident. Now, it is so, so evident that, that the enemy is working overtime to cause division in, in humanity right now, especially in the body of Christ. Now, our church, honestly, I've got the greatest board on planet Earth. I got the greatest pastoral staff. This last week, I had a board meeting. We, we were blessed and, and had a great time. Our staff, we were blessed, have a great time. So I'm not talking, like, I'm not trying to say there's some secret hidden division going on in our church. Please don't hear that. But I know that I know that right now with this COVID epidemic and beyond, Satan is working overtime to divide. He's trying to divide father and son. He's trying to divide church from church. He's trying to divide people within the church. Husband from spouse. Son from, he's, he's trying to divide with all that he can. Why? Because he knows that, that it is a blessing when unity happens. And, and he knows that his time is short. And so this is a big last ditch effort to get people to be offended with one another, to cut ties with one another, to walk away from one another, to take up that offense and, and deal stingily with one another. Divide and conquer. He knows that's the best way. If I, can, if I can divide Tanner and I, it's easier to take Tanner or I out. But if I'm dealing generously in love towards Tanner and he's doing that with me, we're going to have each other's back. It's like, it's like that video that I watched of the wildebeest being attacked by the lion and all of a sudden all the wildebeest turned and started fighting against the lions and the lions ran off. We are stronger together. We are stronger with each other in the body of Christ. Now, I realize that gives you opportunity to be stepped on and hurt a little bit because we all aren't perfect and we, we uh, don't perfectly deal generously with one another, but we make that allotment beforehand knowing that I'm going to forgive you no matter what happens. I'm going to deal generously with you no matter what happens. Look at this. The, this Psalm 133, the whole thing, I'll read it. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I love the way that uh, most of the other translations, New King James, King James, they say, for there the Lord commands his blessing. 
Where? On unity, when brothers dwell together in unity. This is why, oh, you guys, this is why this is so exciting. Because the enemy's going overtime right now to turn us all against each other. Because he knows that if, this is a, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. I'm telling you, this is what we're in. We're in the middle of a test of the emergency broadcast system. And when this test is over, the Lord's going to look down and see who is still unified. And he's going to command his blessing upon them. And I, I want that to be Welcome New Life. I want that to be every church in our county. And our, but like we don't have control over anyone else but ourselves. I can decide today to allow for faults. I can deal generously because I know the Lord's going to command his blessing and that the church will be more glorious as a result. If I will overlook every offense, if I will, if I will make allotment, I'm not going to take the, the chance to run off and hide. I'm going to deal generously with my words about you. You're going to deal generously with your words about me. We're going to deal generously with our forgiveness. And we're going to aim for the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I promise you the Lord will command his blessing. Not just on the church, but on you, on your family, on all those you'll stand with in Jesus' name. The blessing will be commanded. Nothing can stop unity. It's a great testing. And what will you do as a Christian? Will you devour and speak evil of each other? Or will you measure a grace, an allowance of grace towards one another to maintain the unity? We, got, we have to maintain this. We've got to respond in all these things in the spirit of Elijah. I know that's like a, some of you are like, oh, whoa, he's going into the spirit of Elijah. All right, but look, look at this. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you on that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I would come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, this was fulfilled in John the Baptist, and it's still being fulfilled. But look, we must turn our hearts towards our fathers and our children. We must turn our hearts towards our fathers and our children and make that choice to be unified with the boomers, with the millennials, and me and the Gen X were like, what do we do? <laughs> Although some of us are more Gen Xers than others, Deb. We got, like, we're trying, we define every generation, right? And we've got, we've got Gen Z, right? The super cool hipsters down here. And, and what, what do we say to, to, the, to the boomers when they're like old-fashioned thing? Oh, okay, boomer, right? And we mock each. But here's the thing. We have to acknowledge the fact that boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Zers, and whatever other definition you want to come up with, everybody in between, we all have a different sort of perspective on things. That's natural, that's normal, that's human nature. My culture has a different perspective than the Canadian culture, and a different perspective than the Mexican culture, or the Australian culture, or, or the Chinese culture. Right? But in Christ, I will turn my heart toward and toward, and I will measure out allotments saying we're not supposed to be the exact same, but we worship the same Jesus. I'm not, we, Jesus has to be in the equation. I don't just jump in line with people that don't know Jesus. I'm talking about in the body of Christ, which is not just this building. It is the church worldwide. And they exist in every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And so I have to make allotments for even my personal preferences. 
because the Lord wants to command his blessing. Before you respond to anyone or anything, I want you to ask, how has the Lord responded to you? I'm going to post a song at the end of service. In fact, we're going to listen to it here, but I'm going to end the live stream. If you're watching online, you can look it up. Um, it's, it's by Leland, and it's called Speaks a Better, or it's just called A Better Word. You can look that up on YouTube, but we're going to listen to it here. Because when we talk about how does Jesus respond, he speaks a better word. I need to know that word. I need to listen to it. And I want, I want to give you the source of this, and we're going to listen to it in a minute here. But Hebrews 12, verse 22 through 24 is where we get this scripturally. It's talking about that we haven't come to a mountain of doom and gloom and darkness and fire and smoke and all of those things. That's not where we've come when we come to Jesus. It goes here and it says in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in mournful assembly. No. In joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all. Oh, praise the Lord, it's him, not me. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood, the sprinkled blood that he does when I receive forgiveness, speaks a better word than Abel. I can't, I can't just throw that out there without looking at what the blood of Abel spoke. You have to go back to Genesis. These are Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. Abel was the righteous and good son. He offered a very good sacrifice. And the Lord was more pleased with Abel's sacrifice than he was of Cain's. And so what did Cain do? Cain was very upset. And he invited his brother out. In fact, let's read it here. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 through 12. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, uh -huh. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Now listen to, listen to this. This is the blood of Abel, and this is what it cries out. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Abel was the good son. And even in his best, what, is it, what did his blood cry out? His blood spoke a curse. A curse to destroy livelihood, to steal rest, to make a wanderer. What does the, the blood of Jesus speak? A better word. The blood of Abel demands punishment. It demands, it, it, demands, it demands to be compensated. It demands to curse that person. The blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness. It speaks healing. It speaks home. It speaks rest in him. Abel wants to make you a wanderer. Jesus makes you a rester. Which blood in your words and in your heart are you agreeing with towards other people, towards each other? The blood of Abel, the blood of the curse, or the blood of Jesus Christ which speaks a better word over you and in turn over that person that you're mad at too? 
over that person that you disagree philosophically with about what's happening in the world or what's happening with this or that or the other thing. Abel's blood spoke justly, and it's easy for us to agree with. Jesus' blood speaks mercy and grace, and we have to achieve it by faith. My challenge is, will you speak a better word over others? Will you speak in the same measure that Christ spoke and speaks to you? We are so close. The enemy is trying to divide. We have to, we have to make sure we allow for faults in each other. We've got to make sure we agree and speak the better word for and about each other. Don't quit. Unity, because that is where the Lord will command his blessing. He will command his blessing. So be generous. Measure generously in all things. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Those of you online, God bless you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to let you go. YouTube, the uh, Better Word by Leland, watch that. We're, gonna, we're going to listen to this song together. And at the end, Pastor Zeb's going to come up and conclude us. But as we listen to this, let the Lord speak the better word to you and show you the measure he uses to you. And then take that in your arsenal to extend to everybody else. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or if you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit our website at wnla.church.